our Old Testament Scripture reading. It's a responsive reading. You'll find it printed in your bulletins. It comes from Psalm 34, verse 8, Psalm 19, verses 7 through 10, and then Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 3. Hear the word of the Lord. O taste and see that the Lord is good. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And then the gospel reading coming from John chapter 6, verses 22 through 35. Again, hear the word of the Lord. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near to the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. 
and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the word of the Lord. If you're visiting with us this morning, we have been for some months now in a detailed study of the gospel of John. Sometimes when we're looking at one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, we're looking at the life of Jesus and looking at what he did and what he said. And we see a miracle and then we move on to the next thing he said, or we see another miracle, or we see some people that he's teaching. And we just don't connect those passages. Well, especially in John, in other Gospels, you shouldn't be doing that. But especially in John, you can't do that and really understand the Gospel of John. As we've seen in chapter 6, so we saw it in chapter 5, but in chapter 6, we have this miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And then immediately there's another miracle. But we saw last week how that was related. And then we'll see again this morning how what happens next is directly, it's inextricably tied. It's chained to what has come before it. You can understand it so much better if you see that flow. And if you say, you know what? Not walking across the water. It was about what he did in feeding the 5,000. And what he said about being the bread of life he introduced it with feeding the 5,000. So that is a way of saying, if you're visiting, you've come in mid part of this chapter. This message will stand by itself. But I would encourage you that uh, if, if, this, if your curiosity is piqued at all, then go to the website uh, and listen to last week and the week before. The preacher's not much, but somehow the Lord did speak and teach us. All right, with that, let's pray together and ask the Father to teach us. Our Father, we bow before you. All of us are your priests together. You've not only called us to be prophets taking the word out into the Mid-South area, into our families, into our neighborhoods, but you call us to return to you and before your, come before your throne, bringing our brothers and sisters in Christ, bringing our neighbors, bringing our children, bringing our parents. Oh, Father, you've been so good to us in hearing the prayers of your priest here at Christ's covenant. This morning, we put before you, we lay before you, David Mattingly. We thank you for how you have blessed the last weeks, the last days. And Father, we pray that you would now repair these damaged vocal cords. Uh, do you know what needs to be done? We pray that you would bless the doctors to see, have an interest, and understand and know what needs to be done. We pray that you would bring healing. Oh, Father, we thank you for how you have blessed Eileen Wood and the healing that you've brought to her life. We pray that this new medication will be effective. Oh, Father, continue to bring healing. Give the doctors more and more understanding. We pray for Gail Mayo. As Tuesday, she has this procedure on her eye. We pray that you would use this procedure to strengthen that eye and bring healing. 
Our Father, there's so much more in this room. There's marriages that need healing. There's families that need healing between brothers and sisters, between children and parents. Our Father, you know the need of every person in this room. You know their prayers. We pray that you would heal the marriages, heal the families, restore fathers to children, fathers and mothers to children, and children to fathers and mothers. Bless those who are hurting, either physically or spiritually. We pray that in this place, in this place, Father, we pray there would be constant treatment, a treatment of your word in constant healing. And so, as we open your word now, John Sartell cannot teach or preach so it will make any difference in our lives. And Father, he knows that. And the people know that. And you know that most of all. So once more, we cast ourselves upon your grace. And we pray that you would teach us in these next few minutes. Open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. Open our hearts to receive. We're your children. Children asking their father. Oh, teach us. Tell us the story again. Especially this part of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you have a pantry for your soul? Jesus had just fed over 5,000 people in the wilderness area out from Israel, out from the cities. And he had fed those 5,000 people with only five loaves and two fish. There were 12 basketfuls. 12 basketfuls of food left over. He was copying a miracle that his father did, that he saw his father do in the Old Testament. Remember, as Israel journeyed through the wilderness, they needed food. And he gave, miraculously gave them quail and manna. Jesus copied that in the feeding of the 5,000. It even took place in a wilderness area. And Jesus obviously was claiming deity. I'm going to do for you what my father did. He talked about that in chapter 5. And here he did it. The miracle, most of all, was pointing to his true identity. The disciples in the crowd immediately, we saw this, wanted to make him king. Not because that they understood the miracle not that they got what it signified, that he was God. They wanted to make him king because he could feed the nation. Just think if you had a president, you had a king that could feed a crowd of 5,000 on five loaves and two fish. You want that kind of president. They said, just think about the prosperity of Israel. This man will make him king. He would be the Messiah king for them. That would meet Israel's physical needs. Jesus quickly separated the disciples from the crowd. Get in the boat. Go to the other side of the lake. He dismissed the crowd and went up on the mountain to pray. Then, 
as his disciples are fighting a storm down on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus goes to them, striding across the waves through the storm. This is between, we saw this last week, between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Then they're about there all night. What was he doing? Why did he do that? The Gospels point out that he was saying, you did not get what the loaves and fish were all about. I'm the God. I am the God of all creation. The Lord of the waves, the Lord of the storm. And Matthew tells tells us at that point, That the disciples, when he got in the boat, worshipped him. Now in this ongoing story, John switches our attention back to the crowd. I'm so glad that he included this. I love scripture for this reason. You see a sense of humor. Not just in the writer, but you see a sense of humor from our maker, from our creator, from our redeemer. John could have left out about the crowd coming across the lake. He could have simply said, well, when the crowd found Jesus. But he took a paragraph to explain. Look at it, John 6, 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread and the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And they found him on the other side of the sea. They said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? (laughs) They had seen the disciples leave in the one boat that was on the shore. They knew Jesus had not gone with the disciples. There was no boat there. As the other boats came from Tiberias, they hired them to take them across the lake. And what was the very first thing they said to Jesus? Rabbi, when did you come here? They were saying, teacher, how did you get over here? Jesus did not answer them. Don't you wish he had a Oh, he could have come by land around the north side of the Sea of Galilee. He couldn't have done that overnight. Impossible. But he could have said, well, during the storm, I just walked across the lake. Don't you wish he'd have said that? But he didn't. What comes next is the great message by Christ in the Gospels. The centerpiece of this message is verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Obviously, Jesus had been introducing this subject with the miraculous feeding of that great crowd. I fed you with physical bread, but I myself am the bread of life. What I want you to see first in this passage is so obvious That physical food is God-given and is a necessity to physical life. Go back to John. It's on your scripture sheet. Go back to John 6, verse 5. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing the large crowd was coming toward him, he said to Philip, where are we to buy bread 
so that these people may eat. Jesus, we saw last week, had introduced the idea of feeding the crowd when they began to see the people arriving into the wilderness area. And the very person who speaks so passionately in the passage we read this morning about spiritual food, that very person is the one who fed them the physical dinner of loaves and fish. Don't miss that. Who fed Israel the manna and quail when they were in the wilderness for 40 years? God did. In fact, Jesus makes a point of that. Look at verse 32. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave the bread from heaven. Now, Israel was in the, in the habit of, of giving Moses the credit. And Jesus saying, Moses did not do that. My father, read on, who gives you the true bread from heaven. He was the one that did it. God did this. God cared. What's he saying? God cared for Israel's physical well-being. Jesus cared for the physical well-being of the crowd in the wilderness. He provided physical food. Now, we'll pause there. Because especially evangelicals, have a proclivity. We have this proclivity to depreciate the physical blessings that God has given mankind and to extol and exalt the spiritual blessings so that the physical blessings seem to be just depreciated. That's not what's happening here. When John was writing this, there were Greek Gnostics in the church. Well, who were the Greek Gnostics? They took a Greek philosophy and brought it to the gospel. And they said, things that are physical are evil. It's the spiritual things. It's the spiritual things, the things from above. They're good. But physical? Physical is evil. It's like a necessary evil. That type of theology. So in, it's been in the church in every age. I was raised in, in a church that was much like that. It's, the physical is depreciated until it is counted as nothing. That types of Christianity over the years, missionaries will tell you this, that type of Christianity has looked at poor people or starving people and said, they just need Jesus. That's what we're here for. You let somebody else feed them, we're going to feed their souls. We can't ever do that, folks. It was God who made us body and soul. It was God who gave us millions of different foods and drinks and taste buds to enjoy them. When we sit for a meal in our homes, and I hope you still do this, when we sit for a meal in our homes, what's the first thing we do? We pray. And it's a real prayer. We thank God. Do you understand that food is not on that table? You may say, well, I bought those tomatoes. I bought that beef. No, it comes from God. You don't have it unless he sets that table. What happens if when I know Christ and I feed on him and his word, I decide, you know what? This is all I want. This is all I want. 
I'm going to stop eating. I'm going to stop taking physical nourishment. I'll die physically. Spiritual food, even when it is Christ in his word, will not keep me alive physically. And that's important because of what we're going to see next. God did not design spiritual food to keep us alive physically. Secondly, spiritual food is God-given and is a necessity to spiritual life. Look again at verse 32. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Say it again. God made us. Read Genesis. He made us physical and spiritual. There's a question that I like to ask my secular friends. And I do this in having conversations with them. I say to them, whenever you have everything you want, the wife you want, the job you want, the children you want, the car you want, the house you want, the money you want, everything. How come you're still hungry for something more? How come you say, and we hear this all the time, is this all there is? Is this all there is? Is this what, is this what it's about? From whence does that question come? We're spiritual creatures. And even if they don't know Christ, they don't believe in God, they're still spiritual creatures. You can't change that truth. There's something spiritual about us that the physical world cannot satisfy. In the passage before us, Jesus is saying to the crowd, as much as you need physical food, you need spiritual food. Just as you need to nourish the body like we did yesterday across the lake with the loaves and fish, you need to nourish the soul in the same way. What bread is to the body, Christ is to the soul. What bread is to the physical body, the Word of God is to the soul. That's what Jesus was saying to them, and he's saying it to us this morning. But this is not just a gospel doctrine. This doctrine did not arrive just suddenly with Jesus. It's all through Scripture. In fact, I dare you to do this. Write this down and try doing this this week. It's amazing. Say, I'm going to look this week at Scripture, the Scripture that I know, maybe Scripture you've memorized, Scripture with whom you're familiar, with which you're familiar, and I'm going to see where that Scripture talks about feeding my soul. I'm going to look at that. If you do that, you're going to be amazed at how this theme of how God feeds our soul through his word and through Christ and how he feeds us spiritually. It's on every page of Scripture. You can't get away from it. This morning, it's on. Open your bulletin for a minute. Open to the beginning. This morning, we came to the response of reading. Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He's not talking about tasting physical food. He said, taste of the Lord. 
for he's good. Well, how do you taste of the Lord? What is spiritual food? How do we taste of the Lord? Well, we read it there in our reading. Look at it. The law of the Lord is perfect. And what does it do? It revives the soul. It quickens the soul. The testimony of the Lord. Here the Lord is giving a testimony. You want to hear God's testimony? He said, when we read God's testimony, it's a sure thing. It's a certain thing. And it makes us wise. It makes us wise. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes. It causes us to see what the world does not see. What is this soul food worth? Look what comes next. What's it worth? It's more to be desired, are they, than gold. Even much fine gold. You know how much we love money. You know how much we love gold. We want to make money. He said, this food is more valuable than that. Is this food appetizing? He said, it's sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Is that how God's word is with you? Is it? Is that how the gospel is with you? Is that how the Holy Spirit is with you? Why had the crowd sought out Jesus? The crowd sought out Jesus because he had fed them physically. He had filled them with free food. Look at it again. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them saying, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. He said, you didn't see the sign. The sign shouted to you that I am the God of heaven and earth. I'm the son of God and son of man. And all you want from me is bread? You know, think about it. Probably that's what they wanted. He could have given them another sign right there, another meal. He could have said, sit down, we'll do it again. And this time he would give them bread and steak. But that would not feed their souls. Oh, dear friends, do you not see this is exactly where our secular culture is? Our secular culture and materialistic culture attempts to feed our souls on the physical bread. Most every advertisement that you'll see on television this week will be saying, feed your soul on this very desirable physical stuff we're showing you. Feed your soul on wealth and what wealth will buy, on houses and cars and clothes and sex, vacation and sports, whatever. What if I went to every house in Memphis, knocked on a door, and said, I have the power to give you anything you want. I'm close to God. What do you want? Get one request. What would people say? We know already. A few years ago, they, they would have said, well, I want a million dollars. Now they would say, well, I don't want to be greedy, but five billion ought to do it. If I had enough money, Every person in this room, including your ministers, if I had enough money, I'd be satisfied. Oh. What were these people saying? Give us more bread, Jesus, and after you give us bread, go kick the Romans out of our country. None of them were saying, Jesus, you're the son of God and son of man. 
They were not falling down before him in worship. Physical food is God-given and is a necessity of physical life. Spiritual food is God-given and it's a necessity, an absolute necessity, to spiritual life. Thirdly, I want you to see, everyone has a spiritual need. Everyone has a spiritual need, but not everyone has a spiritual hunger. Look at the crowd. What did they do the morning after the meal? When they saw Jesus was not there, they went to find him. Look at verse 24. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boat and went to Capernaum. What? Seeking Jesus. That sounds great, doesn't it? When they got to the other side, they were saying, Jesus, how good it is to see you. Sounds impressive. But Jesus told them, you just want more bread. They weren't looking for a relationship with him. They were not looking to converse with him, to live by his word. They were not saying, you're our creator, you're our sustainer, you're our redeemer. We just want you, that's all. Not what you can do for us. We just want you. Jesus was pointing out, you have a spiritual need. Do you not see it? This bread will not feed your soul. When Jesus spoke of the living bread, they even said, sir, give us that bread. But again, they were looking for some kind of physical bread. What did Jesus say to them? You don't get it. That's when he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. People, this passage wore me out all week long. Let me ask you to do something. Go back to the call to worship. We read, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Could you say that? Was that real to you? Were you saying what was honestly inside of you? It's hard. That's why I wrestled with this passage. It wore me out. I had to go look at myself in the proverbial mirror and ask over and over again, do I care as much about my spiritual welfare as I care about my physical welfare? Do I care as much about the spiritual welfare of my family as I do about the physical welfare of my family? Do I spend as much time praying about the spiritual welfare of my family as I do in praying for the physical welfare of my family? Think about the church. When I pray for Christ's covenant, am I going to the Father and asking Him for the true bread? Or am I going to the Father and say, more and more, we need more and more building, Father. We need a building. We need more athletic fields. Grow our musical program. Grow out our outreach. Or am I praying, give us more of your spirit, Father. Fill our worship. Bring your word in the fire and power of the Holy Spirit. 
give us more of Jesus. Were you actually saying that about yourself this morning? My soul thirsts for God. My soul pants for God. What happens when one is seriously ill, even near death? Sometimes he loses his appetite. Doctor comes and said, how's his appetite? Is he eating? Is he drinking? The family says, oh, doctor, we can't get him to eat. It's like he has no appetite. Folks, that's a bad sign. But that describes our world, the fallen world. And we see it over and over again in Scripture, a dying world. Read through Scripture. Ahab and Jezebel had a spiritual need, but had no spiritual hunger. Pharaoh had a spiritual need, but no spiritual hunger. Herod had a spiritual need, but no spiritual hunger. Pilate, standing there before him, was the bread of life. He had a spiritual need, but no hunger, no spiritual hunger. Where's our culture today? There's a spiritual need. We see it all around us, but no spiritual hunger. There's a neo-intolerance, a neo-hostility to God, to Jesus, to his word. That's not in New York. That's right here in River City. Every major institution in our culture, including the church, we're sprinting away. From God and His Word. Few, if any nations, have been blessed with the preaching and teaching of God's Word more than our country. Think over the history of our country for the last 300 years. You'd be hard put to find another nation so covered by God's Word for those 300 years. But it's no more. Is there a spiritual need? More than ever. Is there a spiritual hunger? Less than ever. As you look at the world around you this week, ask one question. Am I seeing real spiritual hunger? Are people yearning after God and yearning after his word? Enlightening the eyes. You look at God's word and then look at the culture and you'll see it. This is a biblical analysis. I don't know when you walk through the door, I don't know that you understood it. This is what's happening. But folks, this is what Scripture says is happening. It's a biblical analysis. We have traded the true spiritual food for our souls, the food of Jesus and his word and his truth and his gospel and his spirit. We've traded all that away and sought to feed our souls on the physical. But there's one step more in this analysis. God does not leave his precious blood on the table to be mocked and scorned by the world, to be blasphemed in churches that have left the faith. Look at Amos 8, 11, and 12, and we're done. He was speaking to Israel when he said this. He was speaking to a real country, to a real people. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, 
nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east, but they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. He was saying they will not find spiritual food because I will have removed it. Folks, our country will not be destroyed by physical famine. Oh, we may see a physical famine. God may send a physical famine in his judgment. But the cause of death will be a spiritual famine. God has given us a feast in his word in this culture. He's given us a feast in his truth, a feast in Christ, a feast in grace. He's given us a feast when he gave us his church and the worship and prayer of his people. And we're feeding our souls on the physical. The spiritual need will remain. But the hunger, there's no hunger. And you see it. You see it, I know you do. And God will remove the precious manna of Jesus. And the next generation will travel to and fro and they'll not find him. In most of our homes, we have a pantry where a supply of our physical food is kept. The word pantry comes from the Latin word panis. It means bread. A pantry is like a closet for bread, a closet for food. Most of us have pantries. In fact, all of us do. A refrigerator is a kind of pantry. A freezer is a kind of pantry. We would not be without these. The question before us is, do we have a pantry for our souls? A pantry of food, bread, and wine for our souls. We will spiritually die without such a pantry. I'm not speaking just the Lord's table, and neither was Jesus. The pantry he mentions will contain God's word. It will contain the gospel. It will contain prayer. It will contain worship. So let me ask you. I'm asking myself this. Do you have that pantry in your home? Are your children being raised out of that pantry? Some of you might say, well, John, I had that pantry, but my children have wandered away. You know, I, I noticed when my children left to go to college, after college to work, they had a way of getting back home. Because mama could really cook. You've seen that. Well, you keep that spiritual pantry going. You keep it. Till the day the Lord calls you home. And you feed your children every time they walk in the door. You remind them there's a pantry. And you can't live without it. 
Christ's covenant. Elders, deacons, people, Christ's covenant must be that kind of pantry for Memphis and the Mid-South. You see, what we really are is what we like to say about evangelism. We're one beggar telling another beggar where we found bread. We're telling them there's a pantry. Just go and see. Amen.